You're listening to the Birth Matters Podcast, Episode 5. You know, I said to her at that point, I was like, look, like I understand it's probably not going to go according to my plan or my hopes, but if at the very least you can explain to me like why the decisions are being made that we're making, mm-hmm. like that would be really helpful because I'm kind of a talky person and like just to be like, okay, like this isn't what you wanted, but here's why we think it's the best move. And so she was totally game for that. And that was great. Hey there, and welcome to the Birth Matters Show. I'm your host, Lisa Graves-Taylor, founder of Birth Matters NYC Childbirth Education and Labor Support. This show is here to lessen your overwhelm on the journey into parenthood by equipping and encouraging you with current best evidence info and soulful interviews with parents and birth pros. Please keep in mind the information on the show is not intended as medical advice or to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Have you subscribed to the show yet? Please be sure to do that wherever you're listening to this so you don't miss out on any episodes. On today's episode, Julie shares the story of struggles to conceive for six years and ultimately conceiving via IVF, and then goes on to tell her son Kean's birth story. Her water breaks as the first sign of labor, and she proceeds to have a 22-hour induced but otherwise unmedicated labor. This is a great birth story to learn some of the benefits of hiring a doula, also known as professional labor support, towards strategically avoiding unnecessary interventions. You'll also hear the smart ways in which Julie advocates for herself to help get the kind of communication she needs to feel confident and peaceful along the way. Before we get started, if you'd like to receive your free Pack for Your Best Birth checklist and my free mini course with some expert tips for your best birth, please visit birthmattersonline.com slash pack, which you can also find linked in the show notes. Okay, let's jump in. Hey, Julie, how's it going? Good, how are you? (laughs) Thanks, I'm so thankful that you were willing to chat today and share your lovely birth story. I'd love for you to share what you and your husband, Bob, do for a living, because it's really cool, a New York City-specific kind of thing. Yeah, sure. Well, so we both work in theater, or at least we, we used to both solely work in theater. I was a prop master, and also I'm in the stagehand union, and so I would sometimes run shows, and then other times be like shopping for props, or be backstage, like I worked at The Tonight Show quite a bit, just as like a backstage props person. And then Bob is a carpenter. Uh, He's actually the shop foreman for a scene shop in Brooklyn. So we're kind of in, it's related, but we didn't actually work together very often. (laughs) He was more in the shop. And, uh, but I'm also a librarian. I went back and got my master's in library science. So for a while before I had our son, Kean, I was doing a combination of the theater stuff and the librarian stuff. But now I've pretty much switched solely to librarian because there's only so much time in the day. So, yeah, sure. Yeah. So that's a, that's a sort of kind of in the creative field. But yeah. Great. Tell us where you are in your parenting journey. So our son, Kean, uh, it turned, well, he just turned 13 months. His birthday is April 6th. So today's May 15th. So yeah, he's just 13 months and he's great. He's really happy and healthy and just kind of, he's really smart. <laughs> he's like kind of uh-huh. how much he understands already. You know, you can tell even though he's not really talking. I mean, he says mama and dada, but he's just really clever. And it's kind of fun to watch his brain work and realize the ways that he, his personality is similar to our personalities. It's also really fun. Mm-hmm. Like as he's 
developing that personality. I'm like, oh, that's something that I do. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's really, it's really fun. So. Oh, that's so fun. So congratulations on your first year of parenthood. Very exciting. Is he walking yet? Um, he's pulling up to stand. He's cruising between things. He's kind of walking as you hold his hands. But um, he's just, he's in, he's, I've gone back to work uh, full time just three months ago. I started full time. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. At a, at a library, actually at the same school of interior design that I was a librarian at before he was born. I was there part time before and now I'm there full time. So that's been a whole adventure. But anyway, he's in daycare a couple days a week and he's just moved up to the next class. So he's in with like one to two year olds. So he's actually, I think he's going to be walking really soon. Nice. He's been army crawling for a long time. Ah, <laughs> I love like, the army crawl. Like, hip thrust as he army crawls. <laughs> <laughs> That's <funny>. awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's very dexterous with his hands, as you might imagine, coming from two kind of creative, crafty yeah. hands people. He's very good with like manipulating balls and putting them into holes and pushing them and turning pages of books. He loves turning pages of books. All right. Well, why don't we launch into sharing your birth story? Can't wait to hear all the details. I know you wrote an email to your class cohort when it first happened, but I'm sure there are a lot more details to be told. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'll launch in and we'll see. Hopefully it won't be too long and winded. Well, so first of all, like it took us a long time to have Kian and we ended up needing to do IVF to have help. We tried for like six years and there were a few failed courses of IVF as well, or where I sort of had a miscarriage. And so that was sort of difficult. But then finally when, you know, he worked (laughs) and he was actually a frozen embryo. Um, But anyway, so when I was pregnant and it stuck, um, you know, almost as soon as there was a heartbeat, I was like, okay, you know, where am I going to go to have the baby, (laughs) you know? And I kind of, I've always sort of thought, I might want to be in like a birthing center kind of environment. I'm not like a home birth person. We've been renovating our house, so it really wasn't like equipped for a home birth anyway. Mm, sure. Um, but uh, anyway, so, and I wasn't, I was unsure. I'm a little older, you know, I was 39 last year when I had him and I didn't want to necessarily go with like a standalone birthing center. I kind of liked the idea of a birthing center in a hospital setting. So I was looking around and I ended up going with New York Presbyterian in lower Manhattan because it looked at least online, like they had this really great birthing center. And so I called there and they're like, well, the midwives aren't really accepting patients. And so I ended up with a regular OBGYN doctor from a practice that is at that hospital. So there was no option of being in the birthing center, but he was a very like kind of hands off in his, you know, approach to at least, you know, that's what we talked about. And I was like, okay, that's fine. So that was kind of like going into, you know, okay, I'm planning for the for the delivery. And, you know, it wasn't exactly what I thought, but it was close enough. And I, I, I like my doctor. He was, he was pretty good through the whole pregnancy process. And it was a really unremarkable pregnancy. Like I felt pretty good most of the time. I only had a little bit of nausea. My belly wasn't gigantic, you know, even at the end, although it was, I guess looking back at the pictures, I'm like, oh, it was bigger than I remembered. But anyway, <laughs> at the time I didn't feel, I was still very active and I was like, felt really good for the most part, still working on the house on the weekends <laughs> right up till the end. Um, So, but anyway, so, um, but because I was going to be in a hospital setting and not a birth center, I knew that I, I had always thought I might have a doula, but I thought it was even more important to to have a doula, you know, to have someone to be my advocate there. So I, um, I got to- How did you hear about doulas? Um, Well, I had a a number of friends that had doulas. I have some friends who had home births. And so- Mm -hmm. And actually, a, a fr- uh, the wife of a friend of mine is a doula herself. And so okay. I'd kind of, over the years, I'd sort of gotten to be familiar with the concept. You know, it wasn't like 
you know, at first thought I was like, oh, do I really need someone like that? But then I, I was convinced and then, uh, and especially given the hospital situation. So anyway, so I, I had some recommendations from these same friends and, and my friend who had three home births, <laughs> she had a doula named Sarah Pancake for her, uh, for her last home birth and said that, you know, she was kind of on the pricier side, but was very good. And so we met with her and liked her almost right away. She's a little bit older. She had like so much experience. And so we hired her. So we knew that from basically like we met with her, I think in um, my, my due date was um, April 17th. We met with her like maybe in January and decided that we were going to hire her. So we signed the contract. So that was good. And so we checked in with her around, I think it was 36 weeks. She came to the house and had a big long meeting about, you know, everything. And and we developed a birth plan with her and sort of based on, you know, they actually used the template from your class as a, just sort of a guidelines to go over and be like, okay, you know, this is sort of what we're thinking and, and talked through the list also from your class. Your class was very helpful. Oh, I'm so glad to hear <laughs> yeah. that. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, well, you know, just, just in sort of introducing some of like this, you know, some of the, this is what could happen sort of things. And, you know, not that I feel like in the moment we may not have remembered specifics, but it was at least good to have like a primer, <laughs> you know? Sure. But, and then to have a doula to remind you like exactly, the things that you learned, exactly. right? To be your brain. <laughs> over. She was like, oh, this is a very good list. And so we talked through like, we you know the different things and whatever. So then it got to be, and I was, I was working at the library. I'd kind of stopped doing the theater work because it was harder as I was getting bigger, you know, it's more physical. So, but I was still working part-time at the library and I'd scheduled myself right up until like a week before my due date. Cause I was like, Oh, this baby's going to be late. We're still working on the house. Like we're not ready for him to come. <laughs> like he's going to be late, you know, and all the scans, you know, he'd been kind of, you know, he was pretty like average size and, you know, there wasn't anything to say that he would necessarily be early. But anyway, so it was, it was, um, let's see, he was born on the 6th. So it must've been April 4th. I was working at the library. Um, it was around 6 PM and I went to the bathroom. Oh, and, oh, and I should mention I'd had, um, I'd had lower back pain and I'd had it a little bit throughout my pregnancy. And I tend to have a history of lower back pain. I'm quite tall. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I'd had like sciatic things earlier on, but anyway, I started to have like this lower back pain, but I sort of thought, well, you know, it's probably just him, like the baby, like being in a weird position or whatever and putting pressure somewhere. And so I, and I've been going to prenatal yoga. And so I, let's see, what order was it? I think I'd had the back pain over the weekend before I went to see her at the chiropractor. You recommended Dr. Vela cause he's in our neighborhood. So I went to see him for the first time. It was actually the one and only time. I think that was on Tuesday night and it helped a bit. And already it was sort of starting to be, improve a bit, you know, the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on Wednesday morning, I went to prenatal yoga before I went to work at the library. And so it was around like dinner break, like 6 PM at the library. I went to the bathroom and I wiped and there was this mucus plug and it was a very classic, like, oh, this is my mucus plug. And I All was coming like, out at once. That's interesting because it was about a week and a half before my due date. Mm-hmm. But I was like, well, and I so I texted Sarah, my doula, and I was like, I think I'm pretty sure this is the mucus plug, you know? And, and she was like, well, this could mean, you know, that things are going to start happening or it could just mean that it regenerates and like nothing happens, you know, it's hard to say. So I was like, okay, that's fine. And so I, you know, finished my shift. I worked till 9 PM. I went home and then that was Wednesday. And in the middle of the night, or maybe it was very early Thursday morning, I got up to go to the bathroom and there was a gush of water. And I was like, Oh, (laughs) I think this is my water breaking. Oh, I should mention, I also tested GBS positive, which was a bit of a disappointment. Um, I had kind of, 
you know, hope to labor at home as long as possible. But then obviously I'd been told to go to the hospital that I should, you know, if my water broke, I should go. So then in the middle of the night, when I wake up and my water breaks, I was kind of like, ah, Uh, like already this is not going according to plan, you know? mm -hmm. So I texted Sarah and she was actually in, in the midst of another birth at that point. So she texted back and she was like, you know, go back to bed, try to get some sleep. When you wake up in the morning, like see if you have another incident of water you know, breaking. There was no, it was very clear. It was just like water, you know, it was clear. There was nothing weird about it. So I was like, okay, so I went back to sleep. I don't think I really slept, but I went back to bed, you know, and then woke up at like something like five, five thirty in the morning. And again, like got up to go to the bathroom and another gush of water. And so I actually spoke to one of Sarah's like coworkers or, you know, fellow doulas like ended up calling me because she was in the midst of this other labor delivery and was like, yeah, you know, it it does, it sounds like your water's broken. And, but but she was like, well, there's a couple things you can do here. You know, she was like, first of all, you know, I wasn't having contractions. I wasn't in labor at all, you know? And she said, you know, yes, you're GBS positive, but there's two reasons that doctors tell you to go to the hospital when your water breaks. And one is that, you know, if you're GBS positive, they want to make sure that you get a round of antibiotics before, at least four hours before the delivery. But chances of you giving birth four hours from now are very, are not going to happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't in labor. Um, and they're like, the other reason is so that they can, because there, there's a risk of infection once the water breaks. But really, you know, she was like, they're very small. Like this, yeah, there's such a small risk of infection because especially because no one had been up there to check how dilated I was. So yeah. nothing had been introduced to the environment to be yeah. infected, right? Mm-hmm. So she was like, if I were you, I would consider staying home and waiting and having a big lunch and finishing getting your bags packed because we weren't really quite ready yet. Cause <laughs> uh-huh. really, and then going to the hospital in your own time and maybe going to acupuncture, trying to get things jump-started. And so we talked about it, Bob and I, and, and agreed that that was, you know, probably a pretty good uh, line of thinking, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I really did want to avoid getting into a situation where we turn up to the hospital too early and then we're like stuck in their time frame and it's like nothing's really going on. So we basically did that. We kind of cleaned the house and packed, finished packing our bags and had a nice lunch. And I made an appointment for acupuncture. I'd been going to a place off of Union Square anyway, so it's kind of on the way to the hospital. So they could see me in the afternoon. So we we ended up, we started off taking a cab and then the cab got stuck in traffic before we even got across the Queensboro Bridge. And, oh no. And also like, I still was like hardly having, I was having like occasional like contractions, but nothing painful. And then we were like, let's just take the subway. So we took the subway <laughs> down to uh, acupuncture. And then we went and got dinner at Le Pen Quotidien. <laughs> and then we hopped in a cab and went to the hospital. And so when I got there, you know, and I, and I was discussing with Sarah, like while I was in the cab, her birth had finished. So she was trying to get some sleep before she would come to the hospital for me, you know, and, um, but we talked about what should I say to the doctors, you know, and, and should I, be honest about when my water bro- broke or should I not? <laughs> and I ended up sort of fudging it by saying it had broken at three, but I didn't say 3 a.m. You know, I just Ooh. 
didn't say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that kind of bought me some time. Uh We ended up arriving at the hospital at like 6.30 PM. And also, you know, various other things, you know, she sort of reminded me, which was very helpful. Like, you know, I was like, well, isn't that wrong to like not tell them, you know, the right time. And she was like, it's your birth. Like it's up to you, you know, it's not up to the doctors and like, they're just trying to cover themselves legally, you know, it's up to you. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, right. Okay. (laughs) You know, so we got there and we had checked in and um, unfortunately it was the shift change happened at 8 p.m. They happened at 8 p.m. and 8 a.m., at least in this hospital. Mm-hmm. And so we got there at like 6.30, but I was checked in by one nurse, but then I was in triage and there was a shift change and everyone was kind of like ready to go home and they weren't that interested in me and I wasn't really in labor. And when they finally checked me for, um, they hooked me up to the monitors and stuff and checked me for dilation. And I was, I think just maybe one centimeter or maybe 1.5. I think it might've just been one at that point. They uh, hooked me up to the fetal monitor and the IV um, for the GBS and the uh, my like pulse monitor. And I, part of my birth plan was like, I, did, I would hope to be, to have intermittent monitoring instead of continuous. Uh-huh. But when they checked my blood pressure, when I arrived at the hospital, it was high, which of course, like here well, I am. How could it not be? For my first birth, of course, I was yeah. going to be you know mm-hmm. and also at one point the fetal monitor well at one point they couldn't detect the heartbeat for like maybe a minute the fetal heartbeat but that stupid monitor it's like an elastic band it just slips all around you know yeah. so I was like the thing probably just slipped but they were like well you have to be on constant monitoring you know and I was like oh and you know and then and then they tried to insert the IV and like the the one nurse who started to do it was doing it as a favor to the other nurse who was leaving but she was also leaving and she was in a hurry and she ended up like blowing up a vein it was very oh cool. ow. And then she was kind of like I can't deal with this and stepped away but luckily like once You're like you can't deal with this yeah I was like <laughs> really right but then once the shift change happened then you know the the night nurse was a bit more at least she was like in a little bit more invested in like me because she was there for 12 hours you know so we got that result and the um the physician's assistant came and talked to me and about you know what what the plan of action should be. And they recommended cervical ripener, Cervidril, um, to, to sort of get things moving, you know? And, and that also involved, again, like if they put that in, then I was going to be restricted to the bed, you know, while it had to be, I had to sit, lay still for like, I forget how long it was a couple hours at least, you know, it until, sounds like they administered it vaginally, not, not orally. Vaginally. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And so I had to kind of lay there for however long until it had sort of taken, you know? Mm-hmm. So again, I was disappointed. I mean, they hadn't really been willing to let me wander around in the hospital per se, but they might've been willing if I hadn't had the constant monitoring and the server drill to let me at least roam on the floor, you know? But, but so then again, I was kind of like, oh, well, this is not what I thought, you know, but was the, they, they put that in. And, um, and I laid there for however long and then I was desperate to go to the bathroom. And so as soon as I could get up, I got up to go to the bathroom and as soon as I peed, the server drill, it's like a tape, you know, that's all rolled, balled up and then yeah. it's it kind of like whooshed out, right? <laughs> and they said that often that happens when your water is broken because it's kind mm-hmm. of, there's fluids coming out then so that it's kind right. of like, you know. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately that meant that they, we had to, they decided to put another one in, but I had to, again, stay in bed for whatever the chunk of time was while the second one was like, yeah. So I'm in triage. It's really uncomfortable. Poor Bob is there. He's like sitting in a chair, like laying over the foot of the bed. At this point, it's like midnight. (laughs) He's like trying to sleep. I'm trying to sleep. I'm having contractions now more regularly, but still not like anything crazy, you know? 
And just to clarify here, this means you were stuck in, I think you said you were stuck in triage for like eight hours, right? Yeah, all the rooms yeah. were occupied, but it just was really uncomfortable in triage, you know? Yeah. Well, we're but hearing then, a lot of people being stuck either, usually more, even more in the waiting room than in triage mm-hmm. for like t- up to 10 hours a lot of the wow, time, depending yeah. if you get there really early. Right, um, right. Just not I mean, really in this case, at least I had a bed, you know, so that was, yeah. that was something. Yeah, the triage bed. It was still like you know, not a not a waiting room chair. Probably cramped, right? Probably yeah, not. it was pretty cramped with the curtain around, and really, it was like poor Bob. I feel worst for him, you know. Oh, I wasn't. I was very pain. kind. <laughs> yeah, well, I wasn't. It was uncomfortable with the contractions, but I wasn't like in pain per se. You know, it just was mm-hmm. kind of like oh, every every you know however long between, but they still weren't particularly regular. You know, the contractions. Um, anyway, but I think it was around like 2.30 in the morning on on Friday morning that we got moved to the delivery room, which was actually amazing. It was like a palace compared to triage. And also, <laughs> that particular hospital, it's really nice because it's right by the Brooklyn Bridge. And so our room actually had a view of the Brooklyn Bridge. And so let's see what happened then. I think I might have had... Um, I can't remember if I had a Foley, um, right a Foley balloon at some point. Eventually, yeah. So I th- I feel what, what happened somehow between two thirty and eight a.m. I'm not really sure if there was another servidrill. Like maybe the second. I think the second one might have come out as well as soon as I could move. And then they were like, you know, deciding if I they you know I was very soft. They checked me and I wasn't much more dilated, but I was my cervix was very soft, you know. Mm-hmm. And so at some point, like right around the eight o'clock eight a.m. shift change. Another physician's assistant came in, another nurse came in, and who was going to be my nurse. And, you know, somehow I'd made it through all this cervical ripener and got to 8 a.m. And, and so at that point, the new physician's assistant, oh, and I should mention that each time there was a shift change, I was like, hey, have you seen my birth plan? Like, I had a copy of it with me, but I felt like, you know, everyone was so annoyed, like, that I had a birth plan or, the, you know, they were thinking about shift changes and whatever, and they just were kind of like, yeah, yeah, we've seen it, but I didn't feel confident that they were actually they really meant it. paying attention to it, you know, mm-hmm. especially because so many of the things, like at least three or four of the things on there, like about the monitoring and about moving around and stuff, we hadn't, we hadn't been able to follow. So that mm-hmm. was frustrating, you know. Mm-hmm. But with the 8 a.m. shift change, I the new physician assistant who started then, I really liked her. And I said, you know, did you see my birth plan? And she's like, yes, I have. And, you know, I said to her at that point, I was like, look, like I understand it's probably not going to go according to my plan or my hopes. But if at the very least you can explain to me like why the decisions are being made that we're making, Mm -hmm. like that would be really helpful because I'm kind of a talky person and like just to be like, okay, like this isn't what you wanted, but here's why we think it's the best move. And so she was totally game for that. And that was great. What Um, a great self-advocacy tip. That's so great. Just for me, for my own person, you know, if I felt like things were happening and I didn't understand why, then that would freak me out, you know, but if you why, then, you know, Mm -hmm. especially while I was still not not really like at a place where I couldn't think about that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that was great. And I really liked her. And then also the nurse who started at the 8 a.m. shift was sort of like a a brusque kind of Eastern European style, style nurse. And I was sort of like not really sure about her, but she got called into an emergency C-section and the woman who was covering for her, the other nurse was amazing. And I loved her. And Yay. so anyway, so the, so the PA who started at eight was like, okay, look, here's what I think. Your, your cervix is very ripe. Let's, and I know that you want to have a, a 
vaginal birth, you know, if possible. She's like, let's do this mechanically. Let's put a Foley balloon in and see if we can get you to dilate with a Foley balloon. And unfortunately with a Foley balloon, they start you on Pitocin. And I, I also had not really wanted to have Pitocin, but that was what they do. So I was like, okay. So they did that and they started me on the very lowest dose of Pitocin. And luckily, blessedly, like within half an hour of inserting the balloon and starting the Pitocin, I, oh, and there was also the thing about eating food. That was part of my birth plan too. Like, can I bring food to the hospital? And the doctor had sort of been like, well, you're not supposed to, but maybe you can sneak it in. And my doula had been like, well, sneak some food in. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there really wasn't a time when they would let me eat anything, you know, because- They were never not in the room? Well, they were, well- they, they were in, in triage. It was awkward. Right. But then once sure, you were yeah. in the room, like, yeah, they were, there were times they weren't in the room, but I just wasn't sure. And they were so like, no, no, you really can't eat. But then the, the PA who started at 8am was like, look, you know, here's a window before, like you weren't supposed to eat on the Cervadrill. You can't eat once we start the Pitocin, but here's like a half an hour window. Why don't you have Bob go run out and get you something that you can, you know, so that you have something in your stomach. And I was like, okay, great. Nice, good. So he ran out, he got me breakfast. I was, he was like, what do you want? I was like, scrambled eggs, you know, hash browns, whatever. And he brought it back. And so I wolf that down. And then once I'd finished, they started the Pitocin and literally within like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes of starting the Pitocin, I vomited and I vomited up all the scrambled eggs I'd just eaten. But I had been constantly kind of checking, checking in with Sarah, my doula. You know, she was like, let me know how things are going. And like, when I'll decide when it's the right time to come. And so as soon as I vomited, I was like, hey, I just like, you know, and I said about the Foley balloon. And she was like, I think that's a great plan. That sounds like the right way to move. And then she's like, oh, you vomited. That means that your hormones are shifting. She's like, I'm coming right now. <laughs> and so, and luckily she was, she's in Brooklyn. So she um, was quite close by. So she got there within half an hour. So that was right around noon on Friday. And time, time is a little witchy, I guess, with me. Sure. Like, yeah. half an hour, but uh, actually it was four hours later. But anyway, <laughs> so uh, basically she got there at noon and I had been starting to have more regular contractions sort of right around the time when they put the balloon in and, and the Pitocin, but they were, they weren't regular enough that she had thought that that was a reason to come. But once I threw up, then she was like, okay, I'm coming. And things just seemed to go really quickly from there. So she arrived at noon and already the contractions were quite regular. I'm not sure how long between, but, but quite regular. And she kind of like jumped right in and she put Bob to work and they sort of you know, I was, I ended up being kind of like bossy pants and I was like, you know, okay, this one's in the back, you know? And like, so she was like, oh, that means that he's moving down or that means that you're dilating or whatever. And she sort of was like, oh, this, these, you know, when they're located, when the pain is located in different places, then, you know, it's sort of informative about what's, and so she would kind of like push from the back and Bob's job ended up being like two jobs. He would, he would sort of, I ended up, like mostly wanting to stand and kind of leaning over the bed for the contractions. And sometimes I was on the yoga ball. I was always hooked up to the machines, but I was within, I could, they let me move around within the range of the the monitor and the IV stuff. So anyway, I was mostly standing up and he would kind of hang over the other edge of the bed, like counterbalancing me when there was a contraction and Sarah would be pushing from behind on my hips and, um, and then Bob would also like, you know, feed me ice cubes and give me lemon ice and whatever else they, you know, to cool me off in between. But then also another thing, this is something that Sarah had recommended to me at like th- their 37, 36 week mm-hmm. thing, um, is a TENS machine. 
which mm-hmm. is like a thing that you use for um, like athletes use it right for back pain. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like these pads that you stick on yourself that give like little electrical pulses that help with the pain. Yeah. And they're not usually, they're meant for muscle pain, but she was like, they're great for labor. And so I got one that had more pads than most of them do. Like the ones that were meant for labor are quite expensive. But anyway, so Bob's other job was to be the one to be in control of the, of the dialing up of the TENS machine. And I think sometimes like in Sarah's experience, sometimes the woman is able to control her own level of like alleviating the pain with the TENS machine. But in my case, I didn't really do that. It was really more about Bob doing it. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, so when I felt a contraction coming on, everyone would kind of jump into position and Bob would dial up the TENS and then Sarah would push. And so it it went quite swiftly. And then... And so those things were working for you, it sounds those like? Those things were working. Nice. Um, and I just kind of would focus through each contraction. And at some point, uh, Sarah said to me, you should get on the bed on your side. And so I did that. And I, I wasn't really even aware of the transition. I'd been kind of worried about that, you know, it being like a really painful thing. But but there was, I guess, one contraction that just lasted a really long time. And then looking back on it, she was like, I really think that was the transition, right? Is that transition? Is that the, that's the word mm-hmm. for it, right? I'm not- yep, yep, right before pushing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I don't remember it being particularly awful, except that the contraction just sort of continued, you know, for a longer time or like mm-hmm. sort of one blended into the other for this short period. And then it was time to push. And I pushed, I think, maybe for 20, 30 minutes. Wow. Sorry. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it could have must have been that it wasn't very long. It was maybe like 10, like eight or 10 rounds of, of pushing, you know, That's and, um, and they were, you know, they were very encouraging. And the doctor was there and the and the nurse, the nurse, Jerrica, who started at 8am, who I loved was there for the whole thing. And she was really fantastic. And everyone just like wor- worked together as a team. And then he came out. And as soon as Ken was out, he peed right away, which everyone was like, oh, that's great. You know? on, on you? Uh, kind of off to the side. <laughs> off to the side. And then, you know, they started to wipe him off. And I was like, no, 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 I don't really want him to be wiped off. You know, it's fine. Just put him on. And he didn't do the breast crawl, but they put him right at my breast and he latched right on. And nice. it was really great. And, and Bob got a little bit of skin to skin time and, and they held off. They were able to hold off on clamping the cord. They were willing to do it for, I think, was it one minute or two minutes? It was something, it was, it was, they let, they held off for a little bit, you know, they weren't willing to do it for very long, but it was like, Mm -hmm. you know, at my request, it was like a little longer than normal. Yeah, no, that that was it. And it was just lovely, you know, it was all really good. And the doctor, even in the end, he said to Sarah, he was like, which I feel like this hardly ever happens with doulas, but he was like, you were amazing. You were so helpful. And like, you know, it just, I felt like (laughs) it was the right way to go with, with her level of experience. And then also, you know, I had no way of knowing that it was going to be relatively easy, but it was relatively easy, you know? So he was born at, at, uh, (laughs) what time was he born? I can't remember. I think it was 4.45 on Friday, April 6th. So it was just 22 hours after we had arrived at the hospital um, that he was actually born. So it was really only active labor starting at noon. You know, so it was just about five hours of active labor. So yeah, I feel really blessed that it went. You know, after after kind of a rocky start, it it really went pretty well. And then the the other things that I sort of wasn't expecting or prepared for after he was born were, you know, we tried to get a, a private room, but there were none available. 
we ended up in a shared room, which was very small and very awkward. And they come and check in on both mothers and both babies in four hour increments, but different four hour increments. They were like constantly coming in and I was in the bed by the bathroom. So anytime anyone came into the room, they were passing by me. And then anytime the other mother had to go to the bathroom, you know, and then my roommate changed for the second night. They wanted to keep me two nights because of the GBS. Mm and uh, my roommate changed for the second night. And then this, I think the first woman just had the TV on all night long. And then the second woman had a huge family that came at like 11 PM with bags full of like burger oh. and just like <laughs> chatted forever. And like <laughs> the first night was great because Kian kind of slept, but the second night he was just cluster feeding. He wasn't mm. sleeping. I wasn't really prepared for that. You know, I didn't really quite know what to do. <laughs> So that was, that was difficult. So I, I slept a bit the first night, but I hardly slept much this, the second night. Um, so you were probably ready to get out of there and go home. I was ready to get out <laughs> of there. some peace. But then we continued the, the, almost the whole, like when we got home, you know, we'd had our, our, our house is an older house and the rooms are kind of small. And so we don't have a lot of room next to our bed, but we couldn't do like a, a co-sleeper next to the bed. So I have like, had like a portable bassinet in the corner of the room, like opposite our bed mm-hmm. in our bedroom. And, um, and I kind of thought, okay, well, great. Like, he'll, I'll put him down to sleep in that. But it turned out that he wouldn't really sleep unless he was on one of us, like literally on us. Uh-huh. And he wanted to feed every hour, hour and a half, you know? So Yeah, it's <laughs> intense, isn't it? It's intense. And so I wasn't... But that's normal, that. even though it's like, know, it, but, like but experientially, yeah, experientially, it's so hard to like hear that in a class prenatally and really understand the intensity yeah, what of what that means. <laughs> because literally like I, I had him falling asleep on me, but then I couldn't move because I didn't even have like a rail on the bed. I, I, I had also arranged for a lactation consultant with, um, at, at your suggestion, but then and recognition, you know, Annie Frisbee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd been in touch with her uh, you know, a bit before Kian was actually born, but then I met with her like when he was three or four days old. And at that point she was like, look, you know, you can buy like a side rail for the bed and that'll make it safe to sleep and you can side lie feed, feeding him and that'll be better. And, you know, but she didn't recommend doing that until I had the side rail. And so basically there was a week where I literally was staying up all night long, like feeding him, letting him sleep on me, watching Netflix, like series, like on, on end while Bob slept. And because Bob's a much heavier sleeper. And so I was kind of worried about, you know, him trying to stay awake um, in the night. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as it was daylight, he would wake up and he would hold Kian for like two hours while I slept. So I literally got two hours of sleep a night for that whole first week until we got the side rail for the bed and I could sideline nursing and stuff. But so it kind of started in the hospital with that sort of like lack of sleep. But you you kind of surf through, (laughs) like it sort of worked out. I mean, he's still... Even even now, I'm still breastfeeding now, um, although I'm starting to taper off. But he's only just started kind of sleeping through the night. It's He's been a really like a frequent nurser and kind of just not a great sleeper, <laughs> you know, um, for most of this this past year. But anyway, so it was sort of the it's beginning. It's temporary. That, it's amazing how little sleep you can actually function on. You know? It is, right? And yet it's still one of the hardest aspects, I think, of early parenthood is yeah, that just sleep sure. deprivation. Whoa. Yeah. Especially now, like having gone back to work full time. So yes, going back to work has been, has been intense. So a full time, going back to a full time job has been intense. I mean, I'm, I'm very blessed to have had a pretty much like what was it? At least a solid nine months. And I started in February. So I guess it's more like 10 months of, 
being mostly a stay-at-home mom. I've been picking up a little bit of freelance work in the theater um, here and there. You want to tell anything about the show you were having to do some hard manual labor on? Oh, (laughs) yes. One of the first things I went back to do was was being like a substitute stagehand, um, doing props for the show Once on This Island, which... um, was a it was a great show actually um, at Circle in the Square, but uh, the the props preset for the show involved it was a sand it's a sand stage and so the props preset involved like shoveling the sand like there's at one point in the show there was like a reveal where they pulled back some tarps that were buried in the sand to reveal like this pristine um, rug on in the middle of the stage. And so at the end of the show, in order to reset for the next show, it involved like resetting the rug, resetting the tarps, and then shoveling wet sand over. Wet sand, no less. (laughs) And then sort of grading it all. So it was all even. So it was an even surface for the actors who were all barefoot in the show. You know, it was was pretty intense. And that Um, was, that was, how old was Ken when you did that? He was like, Five, four and a half months, five yeah, months. Yeah, pretty early. <laughs> but I was only doing it occasionally. But actually, it was it was kind of a thing because it turned out that he had a dairy protein, milk protein intolerance. Yeah, and so, and, and the only way that I kind of knew that or knew to ask about that was because he had some mucus in his poops. And mm-hmm. I was, and I asked Annie and she was like, well, sometimes that can be a, a you know, a reaction to dairy in my diet through my breast milk, you know, mm-hmm. and I, and I took a diaper to be checked by the pediatrician to see if there sometimes when that's the case, you can sometimes see blood in the stool, but um, sometimes the mucus is like a reaction, but there is actually microscopic blood in the stool, which was the case with his, with him. So the pediatrician recommended I eliminate dairy and also it could be soy as well as dairy. So I had to eliminate soy so I not only was breastfeeding like constantly, but also eliminating all this stuff from my diet, which is kind of my main source of calories and fat, you know, in my, I love dairy, you know? So I actually, I lost the weight very quickly, the pregnancy weight, I think probably because of the breastfeeding. But then when he was about a month old was when I started cutting out dairy and soy and like my weight just really kind of plummeted. And then I was also like shoveling, you know, so, um, so I'm still, I'm still thinner than I, I'm still at my thinnest. Well, I mean, I'm not at my thinnest now, but I'm still thinner than I would normally have been before, like probably about five pounds lighter. Yeah. That dairy um, really makes a big difference. Big difference. I mean, luckily now that he is having, you know, once he started having solid food, it didn't seem to be, um, you know, as much of a thing, but then I waited until he was like a year before I gave him dairy, but uh, around nine months when I went back to work full time, um, or sort of the beginning of this year, the pediatrician was like, you know, I think you could start reintroducing dairy into your diet. And so I did. And so that's helped. It's at least helped stabilize. I mean, I was kind of like, you know, I was even thinner before, but, um, it's helped stabilize. And then, but since I'm still breastfeeding, I haven't actually been able to like put on significant amounts of weight, but, mm-hmm. but, um, and then luckily when he turned a year, I took him to the allergist and she was like, you know what? He's so healthy. I don't even want to test him. Like it opens a can of worms. Like hmm. why don't you just start trying him with dairy and mix? She suggested mixing cow's milk in with my breast milk as like a gradual kind of transition. Mm-hmm. And so I'm still doing that and he's been totally fine. Like no problems at all. So Yay. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So. Yeah. Oh, well, you didn't want to go eat your dinner. I know. I should. I should go <laughs> it just came out of the oven. <laughs> but I should say, while we're recording, what I said to you earlier about yeah. the about the 
how I'm really glad that you're doing this, whatever you end up doing with these birth stories, I think it's a great thing. And it, it was very helpful for me to read other people's birth stories um, on your, I forget if it's the website or the blog. My blog, yeah. Yeah, before going into mine. Uh, my own <laughs> birth story, but you know, it just was just to sort of know the range of what could happen or how it might be was was really helpful and kind of more helpful. I'd also gotten the um, what was the book that you recommend? With the- Inamay's Guide, um, which is pretty much yeah. all unmedicated, yeah, out in the field. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great, but inspirational, but not the reality for a lot of us, at least. Yeah, great point. So yep. that was really helpful just to hear of people who are also you know, in the same sort of situation as me, potentially, from, mm-hmm. from your website. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think those two things are good complements to each mm-hmm. other. Absolutely. Either my blog or the Birth Hour podcast is one I also always recommend. Uh, yeah, I don't think like, I did look at that one, but I, I – um, anyway. Yeah. yeah, it just depends on what people – if they want to read or if they want to listen. Yeah. But I just yeah. like to give options. But, yeah, well, thank you. That means yeah. a lot. And I, I'm so grateful that you were willing to share your story. Yes, it's a, it's okay. a great one. I forgot to mention in the course of the birth story about the Pitocin and the, um, and that basically, you know, once I, once I threw up and, and labor sort of kickstarted, like Mm -hmm. they actually ended up turning off the Pitocin. They never had to dial it up much higher than the lowest level. And then, so it ended up being like a pretty much unmedicated, um, that's amazing. It was really, yeah, just kind of amazing. And I, yeah, that's so great to hear. I love that they were able to just do the minimum amount necessary and that they were able to turn it off. Sometimes yeah. that happens. Yeah. 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 But because I responded so quickly, and, but, you know, that was who would have known, you know, but also um, I do feel like God's hand was in it, you know, yes. in that regard. Yeah. yeah. And helping you cope. It's often harder to cope with, with it, with that Pitocin. So it's. Yeah. It's yeah, really, yeah. 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 So it was a really nice. Yeah. Great that you felt that help. <laughs> and I'm sorry, Bob couldn't be here with me for this, <laughs> for this recorded okay. interview, but, um, but he's actually, you know, you were asking how this has affected like our relationship and stuff like that, or, you know, yeah. how it's been for us. And I have to say like, you know, we're both exhausted. He's particularly exhausted because he's working long hours at the moment. And now that I've gone back to work full time um, at the library, I was doing, the semester has just ended, but during the semester I was doing a couple evenings a week, um, working on Sundays from 12 to 8. Mm-hmm. So he's had to really um, take on the duty, the bedtime routine and getting key to sleep. And he's just been, he's really stepped up and he's been really great. And I think, I know, you know, even though he's exhausted, he really treasures the time with Kian and Kian's gotten so that he goes down so easily for him, much better than for me, honestly. (laughs) But um, it's just been really fantastic to see Bob like settle into this role of being a dad. And we're just so like in love with Kian, you know, that it's been tough to find time for just the two of us, admittedly. But I feel like it's just brought us together in a much deeper way, having a child now and having him be part of our family and appreciating how much the other is doing (laughs) to like try to make it as smooth and and happy as possible. So that's great. It makes such a difference to have a partner who is willing to pitch in and, you know, make it work and yeah. sacrifice one's own self. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't, it's, it's not a natural thing for him either. He's, he never really babysat or spent much time with kids or, you know, I think he, he sometimes feels a bit awkward and, you know, he's a bit older, so he's not always, you know, as, as physically feeling as physically able to, you know, mm-hmm. um, be hands-on, but he, but he stepped up and he has been hands-on, you know, so. Oh, that's great. 
Oh, thank you for sharing that. That's so great to hear. And um, just you can think about this. If you guys would ever want to share any of your IVF journey, I know that's something that I would really love to learn about. And I, I'm sure I would love to learn about that. I feel like it's such an it can be such an isolating journey for too many people. It can, especially because um, I feel like a lot of people don't want to talk about it. I mean, there's a lot of feelings of failure associated with having infertility troubles and mm-hmm. and. For myself, I mean, I I sort of, you know, I went through a period of being like, you know, why me? Like, why is this happening? And and ultimately felt like maybe part of the reason that I went through that was so that I could share that with other people and help them somehow, you know, if they're going through that, especially, you know, some of the stuff, there's a lot of like spiritual questions tied up with IVF too and how much do you intervene and how much do you just let things happen you know, and, and oh, yeah. something that people just really, I feel like no one's talking about that, but I, we need to talk about it. Happy to share my experience in, in that vein, you know, and, and thank you. Yeah. yeah. Or at least, you know, yes. yeah. So, so many yeah. of my students, so many people uh, who come to my classes have, have conceived via IVF mm-hmm. and, and just the little bit that I've talked to students, it, I, I've just started to learn about the struggles of it. Yeah. And, yeah, and so many, simple. it's complicated, you know, lots Very of different ways. Like you just shared several different things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe we can have another future talk if you definitely, yeah, are just able to find this yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy to, to help you out and, you know, help others out. And okay. I, I'm happy to chat. I love chatting. Yeah, me too. All right. Go have your dinner and okay. tell Bob hi and I give will. him a gift key and a hug. Thanks okay. again. Bye. Good night. So there's Kian's birth story told by Julie. Before we sign off, I want to point out that it's very common for your blood pressure to be elevated upon arrival at the hospital, and this can bump you up into a high-risk category that might not be truly necessary or helpful. For most of us, it's simply a product of the stressful car ride and possibly also a white coat syndrome thing too. So here's my tip if you're giving birth outside your home. On the way to triage and once you arrive, you can do yourself a favor toward bringing your blood pressure down by taking deep breaths, doing visualization, meditation, prayer, whatever will consciously help bring it down. Then if your BP tests high when you arrive at your birthplace, I recommend asking to wait a few minutes and then to retest. If you get pushback, just explain that the transfer to the hospital was stressful and that you suspect the elevated BP is just due to that. Also, I wanted to mention that the GBS test is usually done between 35 and 37 weeks in pregnancy with a vaginal and rectal swab. They're testing to see how high of a colonization there is of this meaner bacteria called group B strep. When someone tests positive for group B strep, there's a small risk of a serious infection for the baby from being exposed to that higher level of bacteria in a vaginal birth. The standard protocol and aim here in the U.S. for someone who tests positive is for them to get at least two rounds of IV antibiotics in labor, spaced four hours apart, before giving birth. If labor continues beyond the first two doses, they would give another dose every four hours until baby's born. These antibiotics significantly reduce that small risk of infection. So that wraps it up for today. Thank you so much for listening to the Birth Matters podcast. Please be sure to follow and reach out to us on social media at Birth Matters NYC. Listen up for what we have coming up next week. There's a lot that you don't know. You know, there's a phrase like you don't know what you don't know, but there's a lot that you can know and a lot you can learn to be aware of. So I'd say just having like an understanding of some things will make everything feel less overwhelming. So if anybody asks me, I highly recommend your class. 